on Wednesday nights. This is uh, my third lesson. We've been talking about being filled with the Spirit. And uh, notice here in Galatians 5, verse 22, verse 23, and this is where we're going to be the next uh, uh, eight nights after tonight. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Now, if you look at that list there, these are the fruits of the Spirit, okay? And the the Spirit of God, actually, uh, God Himself desires that we would have things in our lives that we would be more like Him or like His dear Son. And here's the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, tonight we're going to look at that very first one in the list. So look at it again, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is... What's the first fruit? Love. So tonight we're going to talk about this fruit known as love, the fruit of love. So I want you to notice as we think about this, I was thinking as I was studying the lesson uh, and going over it again today, whatever happened to people uh, that actually cared about others' needs? You know, we're kind of living in a day where everybody's about themselves. Nobody cares about anyone else but themselves. And I love it when I get around folks that actually care about others' needs. The, the Bible tells us that love is, as it says here in the list, and God gives us the order, love is the first fruit of the Spirit. It's the first characteristic that flows from God into the life of the believer. Again, God makes no mistake how he starts with this fruit, this matter of love, how we need to have God's love in our lives. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is something that illustrates your and my connection to the Lord, to the Spirit of God. Notice this connection Jesus talked about, about the connection that we have to Him. He says, I am the vine, ye are the what? Branches. Now, we, would, we wouldn't use the word vine. We would kind of use the word trunk of the tree. And from that trunk of the tree, actually, the branches are connected. That's why Jesus said, without me, without the trunk, without the roots that are attached to that, there's no nourishment for the actual branches, and we would be dead. We'd fall off the tree. He says, without me, ye can do nothing. In there in John 15, 5. So what he's saying is that we are connected to him, that he's the vine, we're the branches. When we're connected to Jesus, now watch this, because Jesus is love. When we're connected to Him, then love becomes possible in our daily lives. See, without Him, without me, ye can do nothing. Watch this. Without Him, we can't love. We don't even really... The world has a twisted misconception of what love really is. And the most important thing is we need to understand what is God's love. That, that, that is the love that supersedes any other love that we might have in this world today. God's love is what we're talking about. Now, God's love is something that it, through us, it's not something that we can plan to have God's love or that we can produce God's love. We can't do that. Just like I, I can't... I can't make fruit grow on a tree. You know, you ever had a fruit tree that didn't produce? You know, I have. You know, and, and according to the Jesus, 
it's good for nothing but to be cast, cut down and cast in the fire. Because, there, listen, a fruit tree should bear what? Fruit. And guess what a Christian should bear? Fruit. God desires that there would be fruit in our lives. And one of those evidences of His Spirit in our lives is that we would be God's people who love. Are you with me tonight? We need to make sure that we have love in our lives. So when you think about, we can't plan this matter of love. We can't produce it. But notice what we see about the origin, 1 John 4, 16. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is, what's that say? God's love. Folks, listen, if there was nothing else said tonight, that's the one thing that you need to get with and, and take with you is God is love. And the Bible says here that he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. A spirit-filled love, as the Bible's describing here, it's only found in somebody that is born again, somebody that is a saved person. Because without the Spirit, we can't understand what God's love is, because God is love. How many believe the Holy Spirit is God? Right? We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So understand tonight that there are people today, as we look in this world we live in, people who are starving for love. You ever run across somebody like that? Uh, we, went out to, we went out to eat on Sunday and I, I, I was very brave. I went out to lunch with Brother David and Brother Gilbert. I was, I was very brave. But I'll tell you what, we had a great time. We had a great time. And uh, we enjoyed the meal. We enjoyed the fellowship. And our waitress came around. And so I started to talk to her. And uh, she was very nice to us. And you could tell she was working. She was busy. And so I said to her, I said, hey, listen, do you go to church anywhere? Her name was Naisha. I said, do you go to church anywhere? And she says, well, she says, you know, I'm, I'm busy. And, you know, and, I, and so I, I began to talk to her about our church. And Brother David is sitting there. And Brother David's kind of watching me talk to her. And, you know, and he can kind of see the look on her face and how she's tired and so on. And Brother David, he, he kind of starts going like this. And I, I thought, has he got a muscle spasm in his back? Or what's he, you know, and, and, he's, and, he's, and then he starts moving and I thought, what is he doing? And then Brother Gilbert's sitting over here next to me. And Brother Gilbert goes, ho, ho. He goes, you're going to get a hug. That's what he says. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, um, I don't know these two guys, you know. And, and so sure enough, Brother Gilbert called it. Brother David slid out of that booth and he stood up. And that woman, she was standing there and he put his arms around. He gave that woman a big old hug and and he, he kind of held on to her for a little bit. She held on to him. And he, and he, he says, I said something to her. She says, I've been working almost nonstop 36 hours. She goes, I needed that. You know, and we began to talk to her a little bit more about the Lord and about our church. You know, but people, people are looking for love in all the wrong places. Uh, they're looking for love in all the wrong places. The Bible tells us here, that when it comes to love, God's love, it's not difficult. God's love isn't, it's, it's not even hard to find. Because listen, when you found the Lord, guess what you found? You found God's love. Because when you get God, God is love. Are you with me tonight? 
All right? So it's just kind of a Bible study tonight. But here's the, here's the thought before we get into it is that God's love is available for anyone that would receive it. Do you want God's love? Listen, I can't think of a better love to have and to know than the love that God has for us. So notice, first of all, the definition of love. Now, when you look at love as it's defined in languages, notice, first of all, that there really are three in the Greek language, and the reason I'm using that is, notice we're in the New Testament of our Bible, and when God gave His Word originally, that in the original form, that the New Testament was given in the Greek language. Now, listen, don't misunderstand. You don't have to know Greek to know the Word of God. But when we're going to define love, how many of you feel like if we're Christians that we need to know how love is defined by God? I don't want to know how the world defines love. I want to know how God defines love. So when you look at this, this matter of the definition of love, there are three root words in the Greek language. Now, you may already know one or two of these. Maybe you know all three of them. The first one there is the word eros. And this is where like our English word erotic comes from. It's a sensual, devilish kind of love. In other words, it's a fleshly type of love. Can I tell you, listen, out of the three root words in the, listen, in the Greek language, notice I didn't say in the Bible. Are you with me? I didn't say in the Bible. I said in that Greek language. The word eros for love is not found in the Bible. That's one of the three, but it's not found. There's no eros love in the Bible. The second word is the word philos. Like we have English words like Philadelphia. Anybody know what Philadelphia means? City of brotherly love. City of brotherly love. And I'm telling you, these days, it is the city of brotherly love. I mean, and by the way, it's not the only city. There's many cities. There's many people. Again, like I said, listen, we love them, but understand, they're looking for love in the wrong places, all right? Now, a, a phileo love is a, kind of a social kind of love. Uh, you know, I have a lot of brothers here. I walked in and, and Brother Peter's sitting here and I put my hand on his shoulder and he says, hey, it's my brother from another mother, you know? And, and, uh, and so we, we're brothers in Christ. I'm, I'm, Roman's my brother in Christ. Brother Greg's my brother in Christ. We walk around, we're, we're awful because we don't know each other's names. We just go, hey, brother. Hey, brother. You know, I, I always wonder to myself when people come in and they're visiting what they think because they're like, this is the biggest family I've ever seen in my life, you know? And, and, and yet we are, we have that. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with a phileo love. We need, the Bible instructs us to have love one for another. Would you agree with that? Okay. So there is an eros love definition, which is a sensual. There is phileo, which is a brotherly kind of love. And then notice thirdly, there is agape love. And that is a love that is a God-oriented love. It's a divine love. This is the love. Let me give you the expression of this love. This love was demonstrated on Calvary when Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life for us. Now, you think about those three kind of loves. Do you think a fleshly love pleases God? Even a brotherly love, to some degree, is good, but it's not the best. You see, what God wants us to have 
is an agape type love. Because remember, God is love. It's kind of neat when you study the Word of God, and again, I, I, I hesitate to go back, but it is the Word of God. When you study it out, when I actually went back to the language that God gave His Word in, and I looked at it the first time, I thought to myself, I thought, you know, they, they actually had that wrong. And then I thought, wait a minute, I'm trying to correct God here. But when you read it, here's how it actually reads, and this is the way God gave it. It actually reads, love God. Now, what's missing is the verb, the word is, because it's a linking verb, all right? So when you, when you look at that, it really reads, love God, and we would translate it, we would say, love is God, but because they thought in our language, remember, we're English, most of us are English, our first language, that, that God is the subject. Would you agree with that? God's the subject, God is love, right? So when you think of that, why... When God gave it, now this is another beautiful part of the language that God used, God made no mistake. You know, one of the hardest languages in the world is not Chinese or Japanese, it's English. Because things don't make sense in English, you know. And so when I looked at that, I thought, now why would God have given that as love God or love is God? Why didn't he give it as God is love, which is what our Bible says. By the way, our Bible is accurate. I'm not here correcting the Word of God. Here's the neat thing about the language God used when He gave His Word in that Greek language, that the most important part of a sentence was always the last thing in the sentence. What was the second most important thing, or second most emphatic, was first in the sentence, and what was the least emphatic in a sentence was in the middle. So think about that. When he said, love God, the most important emphatic thing in the sentence came where? At the end. So when it says, love God, what's the most important thing about that little statement? God. That's why our translators in our language translated it as God is love. See, they didn't lose the meaning there. We need to understand the definition. It's defined in language, but then also, and I've, I've been sharing a little bit of this, letter B, it's defined in Scripture. When you look at the Word of God, 1 John 4, 8, He that loveth not knoweth not who? God. Remember what Jesus said? How can you say that you love me when you can't love other people, right? That's what the Lord says to us. If we have God in us, then guess what? We have God's love. We should be able to love others. Jesus loved, listen, Jesus told them to love their enemies. That's what the Bible instructs us to do. And as you think about this matter where he says, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God is the essence of love. You can't know love if you don't know God. Let me say that again. You can't know love if you don't know God. How many of you are saved tonight? Okay, you know God, right? So here's the thing is, if you know God, then you should know love because God is love. All right? Yes, sir. Well, they do, but it is not a God type love. It's not an agape type love. Because here's the thing is, when we get saved, Albert, what happens is the spirit of God takes up residence in our lives. In other words, the Bible says he dwells in us. So what's happening is, remember I said, we can't produce, we can't manufacture 
the fruit of the Spirit. It's not something that I can do. The Holy Spirit is producing that in my life. Well, if a person has, does not have the Spirit, they're not saved, then they, they are not going to be producing this or evidence, because they can't produce it, the evidence of this type of love that we're talking about. They might have like a, a, a phileo love, you know, having love for people. And I've seen a lot of people that do that. That's a great point. But see, we've got to understand that this is the love that God wants for us. Look what Jeremiah says. The Lord said, yea, I have loved thee with an what kind of love? Everlasting. How long is everlasting? Forever. You ever have somebody that did you wrong and you're like, that's it. It's over. I don't love you anymore. But that's not God. By the way, when you think of yourself and I think of myself, aren't you glad that God loves us with an everlasting love? doesn't matter what we do. Now, God's not pleased when we do something we shouldn't do, but guess what? He still loves us. We see this a lot in, in, a, in a mother, you know? There's nothing like a mother. Now, Dad, he's a different story, all right? But mothers love their children. I'm going to tell you something. Their children can do just about anything, and mom still loves them. And dad's like, what's the matter with you? How can you still love him after he did what he did, you know? But understand that God loves us, and you and I, we can't, no matter what we do, listen, if it's an everlasting love that God has for us, there's no way that we can get away from God's love for us. It's impossible because it's an everlasting love. So Jesus, in his life on this earth, when Jesus was here, remember what the Bible says? Having, his, having loved his own till the end. Jesus loved his disciples until he went to Calvary, till he departed from this world. That's the way. Listen, what does the Bible say when, when a husband, a man, and a woman come together in, in, in holy matrimony? Till death do us part. Jesus loved his own until the very end. The, the word eros, again, that type of love, it's an emotional love. Guess what? Emotions come and emotions go. You know, I've, I've, sadly, I've sat in my office and I've sat at other places where I'll hear something like this. A husband will say, I just don't love her anymore. That's an eros love. I don't love him anymore. You would never hear God say that. Because God's love is an everlasting love. So we've got to understand the definition of this matter of love because eros, love, it's emotional. It wears off. But agape love will stay. It's one that stays. It does not leave. So we understand the definition that, that love is defined in language, but love is also defined in Scripture because God is love. That's the definition of love. But let's look now at the description of love. In the Bible, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. All right, just a couple pages back. And you should know this is called the chapter of what? Love, yeah. And uh, I've, I've gone to this chapter many times. Uh, I've gone here for a, quite a few times for weddings. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. And we're going to look at a couple verses here. Uh, let's look at the first eight verses of 1 Corinthians 13, all right? So in your Bible there, in verse number one, notice what Paul writes. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, and have not what? Charity. charity. Anybody know the synonymous word for charity? Love. Love. And by the way, before I read on, 
The word tongues there is a often misunderstood word, especially in this day that we live in. The word tongue there is actually the word glossa. Where we get our word glossary from, it's actually a language, all right? It's a known language, and so we need to understand. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand uh, all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, notice the key word there, all. He just said, I know everything. You ever met somebody who just knows everything? That's what Paul's saying here. He says, he says, although I have all these things, I understand all mysteries, all knowledge, I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not what? Charity. He says, I am nothing. In other words, I can have all those things, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. Verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not what? Charity. He says, it profiteth, those things that I would do, he says, they, they don't profit me a bit. He says, I've got, the key ingredient is love. Look at verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. In other words, what he's saying here is what we need to make sure that is in our lives is this matter of love. God's type of love. So in these verses, he describes it again in verse number one, he talks about without biblical love that our words are just empty. You know, there's no meaning behind them unless we have a biblical agape type love. In verse number two, he says without biblical love, he says our motivation, why we do what we do, if we don't have love, our motivation's weak. And then in verse number three, he says, without biblical love, he says, the things that we do, our deeds, will have very little impact on people's lives. See, I can do things for people, but guess what? If I do it with love, it makes all the difference, all the difference. So I want you to see, first of all, the helpfulness of biblical love. We just read it here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, biblical love it's there, it exists to help us through different circumstances in life. So look at these first two. When we think about the helpfulness of it, that the Bible says love is patient. Write it down. Love is patient. In other words, charity suffereth long. You know what that means? That means that love is slow to anger. Uh, you know, sometimes we've lived in houses where, have you, have you lived in a house before? Maybe you do now where you have a gas stove, or maybe you live in a house where you have an electric stove. And, it, it, and it, I'm going to tell you something, gas and electric work totally different. Uh, one of them comes to a, water comes to a boil very quickly, and the other one, you're like standing there an hour later waiting for the noodles to start boiling. 
And that's what he's saying here is that love is patient. In other words, love takes a long time to come to a boil. Sometimes we just, we fly off the handle. And he says, listen, if you have the right kind of love, an agape love, love is patient. Listen, this is the kind of love that Stephen had. Remember how they, they stoned Stephen? And right before they stoned Stephen, he knelt down and he said the same thing Jesus said. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. That's love. That's a patient kind of love. So look, the helpfulness of biblical love is that it's patient. But notice, secondly, love is kind. The Bible says that love is kind. It's expressed. You can express your love through little acts of kindness, little bitty things. Look what Peter writes. He says, finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one for another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, he says. And we need, we need to be kind to one another. You know, listen, sometimes we become so sarcastic that we're not kind to one another. And he says, look, love is useful. You know why? Because love is patient, slow to anger, and love is kind. But then notice letter B, not only do we see the helpfulness of biblical love, we see the humility of it because in these verses in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul describes now what love is not. See, he's been talking about what love is, but look at what he says love is not. First of all, he says love is not jealous. It's not jealous. In other words, charity envieth not. He's saying here that you can't love someone and be jealous of them at the same time. They don't go together. He says, look, if you're going to love them, then jealousy, when you look back in the Bible and you find the first person that was murdered in the Bible, do you remember why that person was murdered in the book of Genesis? Because of jealousy, the bitterness that was there. But he says, listen, love is not jealous. Charity envieth not. Notice what else love is not. Love does not brag. He says there in 1 Corinthians 13, charity vaunteth not itself. That means that love, biblical love, God's type of love, it's not conceited. It's not absorbed with self. Those in, in uh, Corinth that Paul was writing to in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, that's their problem. They were all about themselves. It was a fleshly, they were saved, but they were absorbed with themselves. And he says, listen, true love, it doesn't brag. It does not vaunt itself. Notice another thing he says what love is not. Love is not arrogant. He says charity is not puffed up. I read this account recently about William Carey, a great missionary to India. And uh, this man, he, he saw Carey one day and he said to him, he said, he said hey, listen, he said, I, I heard that you used to be a shoe cobbler. And William Carey looked at him and he said this, he kind of humbly said to him, he says, no, I wasn't, a, I wasn't a shoe cobbler. He said, I was actually a shoe repairman. He was a very humble person. But when that, that person kind of said that down to Carey, he found out later on, William Carey knew 23 different languages and dialects, 23. And he translated the Bible into all 23 of those languages and dialects. He was a very smart, very educated man, but guess what? You would have never known it. Because see, love 
is not arrogant. It, is, it will not puff up. Somebody said arrogance is big-headed, but love is big-hearted. Love is big-hearted. Let's make sure we have a big heart, that we understand that charity is not puffed up. So look, Paul says, if you want to understand what love is, he says, let me give you a description, because love is helpful. It's patient. It's kind. He says, love is humble. It do, it's not jealous. It doesn't brag about itself. It's not arrogant. But then notice thirdly, the holiness of biblical love. Because God's type of love, it's only going to shine through those who are living a life that is holy unto the Lord, H-O-L-Y. Remember what God said? I am holy, therefore be ye holy. So if we're going to love the way God wants us to, We've got to be a vessel that is holy unto the Lord. We've got to be completely separated unto God. So notice how he talks about biblical love, the holiness of it. He first of all says that love, I'm just going right down through 1 Corinthians 13, love does not behave unbecomingly. In other words, it does not behave itself unseemly. Let me put it this way, you might understand this a little bit better. Love is not rude. Sometimes people are so rude to other people. But biblical love does not behave itself unseemly. It's not rude. Secondly, he says love does not seek its own. It seeketh not her own. Somebody commented one day, and they said, you can cure selfishness. And he says, and if you do, you'll, you'll just have replanted the Garden of Eden if you cure selfishness. Because that's what that whole passage dealing with Adam and Eve was all about. It was all about selfishness. God told them, you can have anything you want except what's on that tree. And isn't that the human nature? We always want that which we want to seek our own. Paul writes in Philippians 2.4, look not every man on his own things but every man on the things of others. You know, when we're practicing Christian love, guess what we are being oftentimes to other people? We're being a blessing to them. And he says, listen, the holiness of biblical love is it doesn't behave itself unseemly. It doesn't seek its own. Thirdly, look at this. Love is not easily provoked. It's not easily provoked. Uh, look, it, it, somebody who really understands biblical love they're not aroused uh, quickly when it comes to this. In other words, they don't get angry, even if they're wronged. I know you're probably in here, and nobody's probably ever wronged you in your life, you know. But I'll tell you one person that was totally misunderstood was Jesus. And he's our greatest example of this, how that, that love is not easily provoked. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, 23, who when he, Jesus, was reviled, he reviled not again. When he, was, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. See, that's love. Love doesn't retaliate back. Love doesn't get angry. Love is not easily provoked. And then notice he also says, love does not harbor evil. Love thinketh no evil. Did you hear what the Bible says? It didn't say some. It says thinketh no 
evil. So when you think about biblical love, biblical love doesn't keep the books on evil deeds. It doesn't keep track of it. God's not interested, somebody said, in assigning blame. What God is interested in is solving the problem. God wants us to love one another. God has committed, listen, you know what God gave us? The Bible says this, he has committed unto us the spirit of reconciliation. You know what happened in the garden, right? Man sinned and they fell in the garden, right? And because of that, sin passed upon all men for all have sinned. Are you with me tonight? As a result of that, guess what? We could never go up to God. We can't live good enough to get to God. So what happened? God reconciled us back to himself through Jesus Christ. And after God saved us, guess what he's given to us? A ministry of bringing people to him. A ministry of reconciliation. Well, the only way you're going to reconcile somebody, instead of staring at the color of their hair and all the tattoos and maybe their uh, uh, sexual orientation or whatever it may be, is that you love them the way that Jesus loves people. Right? We need to have God's type of love. God has committed us to have this love. So, listen... We understand love defined, and then we, we just saw a great description in 1 Corinthians 13 of the description of what biblical love is, but then notice, listen, what good is all that knowledge unless we put it on display? So I want, I want to talk just quickly tonight about the display of love because as Christians, we should be constantly displaying God's love. You know what you should be? You should be a walking billboard of the love of God. People ought to see God's love in you and God's love through you. Every day of our lives, constantly displaying God's perfect love. Amy Carmichael said, you can, you can give. Listen, and this kind of goes with what Albert was asking. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. See, if you love the way God loves, you can't help but give. And we see tonight that one of the ways that God's love is expressed is through our giving. And we see here, first of all, look at this, our love is displayed through giving. You know, sometimes what we'll say, and especially us guys, we're, we're bad at this. We'll say, I love you. You know, I love you. And, and you know what happens to the wife after a while? Although she likes to hear those words, they really don't mean anything until you actually show her that you love her. See, it's one thing to say it. It's another to prove it. We just sang that song about proving God in our lives. And we need to show this world that it's not just something that we're saying, it's actually something that we're doing. We can show our love by giving of, uh, 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 giving of our time. Listen, if I give my time, you know, a couple of our men went to see Brother Ken today. You know what they did? They gave of their, of their time. You know what happens when you give your time? Guess what you're giving? You're giving yourself. Because in order to give your time, that means you're giving yourself. One way that you can actually display God's love is by giving of yourself. And then another way is we can, we can show our love to others by giving of our communication. Again, it goes back to this, tell someone that I love you. Do you know, I, I've, I've actually been out knocking doors 
and I've, I've been talking to somebody on their front porch, and I'll say something to them like this. I'll say, I'll say, listen, you know, God loves you, and I love you. And they look at me like, you what? Now, you say, Pastor, is that possible? Absolutely. Because, listen, God loved me, a dirty, rotten sinner, and God loves everyone. And if God is love and I'm in him, then I should love everyone he loves. See, we can display through our giving, but notice, here's the greatest example. God's love was displayed through giving. God's love, we know John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, before we were born, before you ever came into this world, God already knew every sin that you would ever commit. And can I tell you, God still loved you when you were born? God still loved you with all the sin in your life? You know, Jesus became sin for us. You know what that was? That was, I love you, written in red. Somebody years ago wrote a song, written in red. That's what that was all about. Jesus showed his love toward us when he died for us. He spilled his precious blood he gave his life so that we can have eternal life. See, folks, listen, the bottom line when you think about God's love and the fruit of love in our lives, there is nothing that we can do to make God love us anymore. And there's nothing that we could do to make God love us any less. See, God loves us with an everlasting love. His love is unconditional. God's love is impartial. God's love is everlasting. As we've seen, it's infinite. God's love is perfect. And the greatest display of that, Romans 5, 8, he commended his love toward us and that while we were yet, what? Sinners. Christ died for us. He showed his love. God has showed it to us and it's available to all that will receive it. And I'm going to tell you, this is, this is the beginning of this study, but this is one of the fruits that all of us need to make sure that we have in our lives because God is love, therefore we should love others the way God has loved us. How many of you think this world would be a whole lot better place if God's people would have the fruit of love? Let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for the admonishment from the Word of God, how that we have seen the, the definition of what real love is, that God is love. And we see it described in the Word of God in that chapter, oftentimes we call the chapter of love. It gives a great description of what love is, what, is, what love is not. And then we also see how that although we know all these things and we have it in your Word, what good is it to this world and to those around us unless we display that love by giving of our time and giving of our communication, telling people that we love them because God loves them. Lord, thank you again for being such a great example that you died for us. You loved us before we ever loved you. May we have this fruit in our lives, the fruit of love. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.